This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Mark Hazy. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. So, this is the situation. After years of not knowing what the hell's going on, you're told you've got polycystic ovary syndrome. Sure, you've heard of it. You're pretty sure your friend's got it. But all you're really told is that you need to lose some weight and that'll help things. But instead, it doesn't help things. It actually sends you into a spiral. Later, we're going to be talking about polycystic ovaries. It's a condition that affects about one in 10 women. But still, there's so much misinformation out there. If you're going through it, you're going to want to listen to this. We'll have some experts answering questions as well. We're getting to that soon. First, though, hack. We in the media must ask if we are truly honouring a world worth living in. Too often, we are the poison in the bloodstream of our society. On Triple J. You know, just over a week ago, we spoke to ABC journalist Stan Grant here on Hack, and you might remember that he was talking about all kinds of things. Race, culture, identity, the monarchy... And so many of you love the chat. You said Stan has a really powerful way of speaking that it helped you think about things differently from another perspective. Well, since our conversation, a lot has happened. You might have seen Stan has announced that he's stepping away from media indefinitely because he'd been receiving all kinds of racist abuse after he spoke on the ABC about the impact of colonialism on Indigenous Australians ahead of the King's coronation. Last night, Stan Grant presented his final Q&A on ABC TV for a while. And, you know, he's had a lot to say. He's accused the ABC of institutional failure. He said the ABC did not publicly defend him when he was copying racist abuse. Stan says he and his family received threats. And he's criticised the media as well. I'm not walking away because of racism. We get that far too often. I'm not walking away because of social media hatred. I need a break from the media. I feel like I'm part of the problem. And I need to ask myself how or if we can do it better. I stand stand. It's really hard to see him struggling and that he's had to cop the racism and the disgusting filth that has been put online. Was it a mistake to not get out there and defend the coverage? I regret not doing this sort of interview 10 days ago. I regret not putting out a statement directly about Stan in recent days and I personally apologise to him for that. But I'll get back up and you can come at me again and I'll meet you with the love of my people. Don't mistake our love for weakness. It is our strength. We have never stopped loving and fighting for justice. Hack on Triple J. Journalist Stan Grant there, powerful final message on the ABC's Q&A program last night. So what's going on here? Like, what is happening at the ABC, in the media, that would force one of the most respected, experienced journalists in the country to stand down? Wiradjuri woman Suzanne Dredge is the head of Indigenous News at the ABC. She knows Stan well, and she's with us now. G'day, Suzanne. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. The media is this bubble, right? You know this better than anyone. When you work in it, it can feel like it's the only world that exists. But most people listening now don't work in the media. Can you explain what kind of impact Stan Grant standing down has on Australia's media? Yeah, look, first, I just want to start off by saying what an incredible man and leader Stan is. Hearing him speak... Uh, Ending the show last night, it was heartbreaking. Um, I think it has impacted so many people, not just our First Nations journalists at the ABC and in the industry, 
but our communities, um, it's wide reaching. You know, we've had communities and elders reach out and say how devastated they are that Stan has been subjected to racism and abuse just for doing his job. Um, you know, First Nations staff, they look up to Stan. He's a leader for our people and a leader in our industry. He's been a journalist for over 40 years, particularly at a time when there was little to no Indigenous representation in the media. So uh, for Stan to call this out, it shows incredible bravery, but it's also devastating uh, to know that he has been subjected to so much hateful comments, racism and vitriol um, online, but also by sections of the media. You know, there might be some people listening now, Suzanne, who are thinking, why is the ABC talking about itself so much? Get on and do your job. I don't know, how important are these conversations to Australian society more broadly that we're having right now? Extremely important. Racism is something that Aboriginal people deal with every single day, particularly with the rise of the digital age. I mean, we had racist government policies that impacted us, that that is the reason why we have so many stolen generations and intergenerational trauma. Uh, We've always shied away about discussing racism and it's something that we as Aboriginal people want to talk about. We need to talk about this so we can have an inclusive society. People need to understand that racism is violence and uh, everybody needs to be a part of the solution, that we all need to stand up. It's not just on the shoulders of Aboriginal people to call this out. It's on everybody to call it out. Um, I think the ABC is changing culturally. We have more First Nations and diverse staff than we ever had before. Um, And that means that we're going to have more perspectives and more ideas and different kinds of storytelling. Um, And we're going to elevate the voices of Aboriginal people. And that's because we are representing our charter. We are doing our job. We are making sure that minority communities are heard. Um, So it's, I think we can always do better as an organisation. We've come a long way, but we just, we're not there yet. You lead a team of First Nations journalists at the ABC. They're covering huge issues, often traumatic stories every day. Can you explain what kind of pressures Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander reporters are under in Australia right now? Oh, huge pressure. And it's not just because it's the year of the referendum. It's because there's not enough of us working in the media. So we carry a lot of the weight. We have a responsibility to make sure that the issues and the challenges that impact our communities are told properly, that their voices, that their concerns are heard. We hear a lot about the voice and the referendum, but if you actually go out to community and you talk to people about what's important, it's housing, it's access to affordable food, it's rent, it's um, access to clean water. I mean, the referendum, sure, it's a discussion that people are having, but there's so much more going on and that's something that our Indigenous reporters at the ABC are hearing on a regular basis, but they are incredibly passionate and super talented. They're here because they they have a purpose. They know that it's important that we elevate those voices and hear their stories in our communities. Is the big issue here, Suzanne, that at the ABC there aren't enough people of diverse backgrounds in leadership roles? Like we heard Stan calling out ABC management. Is that the big issue? I think that's one of the challenges. I'm the first Aboriginal woman to sit on the news exec in 90 years. Um, You know, it's 2023. And for me to be the first person, Bridget Brennan and I and Brooke Fryer um, with Stephanie Zillman uh, were the first three Aboriginal women to report and produce a story on Four Corners last year. So there are all of these firsts happening, but you need to stop and ask yourself, 
why hasn't this happened sooner? What has gone wrong within the organisation and the industry to not elevate our staff and our voices and provide those opportunities. Well, hey, we appreciate your insight into this. Uh, there's nobody who uh, knows these issues better. Suzanne Dredge, ABC Head of Indigenous News, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. And, you know, in all this coverage over the past week, you might have seen someone else in the headlines reacting to all of this. One of our crew here at Triple J, Michael Hing. Here's what he had to say on Channel 10's The Project after Stan Grant announced he was taking a break. You know, I'm someone who has worked at the ABC for a couple of years and I've also thought about, you know, leaving because of racist abuse. I work on a radio show there and I would say maybe once a week I get called a racial slur or I get told I'm not Australian or whatever it is, you know, and so I can kind of relate to at least a small part of what Stan is talking about. Look, a lot of you have been asking about Hing. As you know, he's on holidays at the moment. Unfortunately for him, I've interrupted them. <laughs> but I'm so glad to say that he's with us right now. Michael Hing, thank you so much for coming on Hack. Hello, Dave. Finally, I'm on Hack. Finally, it's happened. Hey, we wish... I've been campaigning for this for years. Well, we wish it was for a took, better reason, you know. All it took was, a, was a, um, an organisation-wide reckoning. <laughs> hey, look, the, the subject has been so heavy this week. We've just been hearing a bit about... a. Dan Grant and and the issues there. Lots of people really sad to hear your comments on the project, to hear about racist abuse you cop when you hear at Triple J hanging out with all of us. What made you want to speak up about this? When I read Stan's column on Friday night, it was um, heartbreaking for so many reasons. I've had, you know, very small things to do with Stan over, over the years and I've always found him to be a really thoughtful, really smart guy. And so I on one level, professionally, just a loss for the organisation for the time that he's taking a step back. But then also, I, I, I went to Twitter and I was like, he's talking about this racist abuse. I wasn't actually aware of a lot of it. So I just put his name into Twitter and the things I saw were some of the most disgusting, um, violent, um, wrong lies about a person that you could imagine. But then I saw people from like across the political sp- spectrum saying like, obviously racism is bad, but I don't like Stan as a journalist, therefore this is good. And I was like, that's disgusting as well. The idea that you could think that a person being hounded out of their job because of racist abuse or because of things related to racist abuse, the idea that you could think that any good would come of that was so heartbreaking. And um, that was kind of what made me want to talk about it on, on, on the project the other night. Well, you did mention that you receive racist abuse as well. Is this stuff you're getting on the text line, on social media? Like, what kind of stuff are we talking about here? Um, yeah, so I knew you were going to ask me about this, Dave. So I've, I've gone back through some of the hits <laughs> and I've found some of the, the wildest stuff that I've, that I've received over the years. Um, it started from, it's always constant. If you're a not white person... In Australia, you in the public eye, you will get this. It just happens. And what I get is a fraction. Let me say that. It is a fraction of what Indigenous people get and uh, in what Stan Grant would get, you know. So I remember the very first time I got a job at the ABC, I was working on a show called Good Game. They announced it. The very first comment I saw from that was someone saying, um, you know, this Chinese guy's only got it because he's a diversity hire. That was it, right? That, that was the fir- very first. That was the very first feedback I got from the ABC audience about me working at the ABC. That I was a diversity hire. Never mind that I was a, a comedian and I, you know, worked in gaming and I 
whatever. Never mind all of that. No, no, no. I'm a diversity hire. I'm reduced to my race. This is really disturbing. This one that I got the end of last year. Um, I'd criticize Prince Andrew on um, on air. And and again, I want to give a content warning on this because this is really awful what this person has written. But I sent you the screenshots, Dave. Yeah. Um, someone's written... Hing, Prince Andrew is fantastic. That's what they've written, okay? Um, just because no white woman would want your dirty little gook hands all over them doesn't mean you need to be resentful and jealous of him. That's, that, that, that's a message that... That's a comment that someone left on my Instagram, you know? I, I would say every three days, maybe, at my account or at the Hobber and Hing account on Instagram... Uh, we get sent pornography. We get sent pornography involving Asian men and people tagging me in that and being like, this is Hing. Just because it's an Asian guy, people think that's acceptable to spend. I'm at my workplace and you're sending me po- like porn. And it's, not, and it's like, it's awful, you know? What like, kind of impact does it have on you professionally? Like how do you go about your, your job, your career in the midst of that, but also personally as well? I mean, we don't talk about it on air. You would know that we don't talk about it on air, like mm. on our show. I, I think maybe in the four years we've been doing it, I don't talk about it because it's a bummer to talk about. I don't want to talk about it. I want to be doing dumb jokes, you know? Um, you know, and I know that it's a bummer to hear about sometimes. And so I don't want the audience, I don't want to bring down the audience, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's like you turn to the text line. Because you, you do talk back, right? You go like, oh, hey, um, you know, tell us about the, I don't know, biggest meal you've ever eaten. Some stupid thing like that. And you go, and you turn to the text line to go, do you want to hear about a big meat pie or something? And then you see someone like texting and being like, Michael Hing is a Chinese spy for the Communist Party, you know? And you're like, I just wanted to hear about a meat pie. <laughs> like it's, you know, like there's that, there's that. Um, then there's the more serious thing, which is the violent racists who are out there, Right. If you go right now to the the, 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 the that thing I said the other night on the project, they've clipped it up and put it on Twitter. If you look through the comments of that, there are actually, like I, I know, listen to the words I'm saying. There are avowed Nazis in the comments telling me to go back to where I came from, telling me I don't belong in Australia, that kind of thing, right? So you think about like, oh, that's, a minor- that's, that's just a minority of people. Of course it's a minority of people in Australia. Most people in Australia, most people in the ABC are, are not violent Nazis. Of course, of course. But then you've got to think like, you know, when you're out, you know, is someone going to recognize me and, and, and they're going to be someone who hates me and they're going to do something, you know? You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with my colleague, a friend of all of you, a Triple J presenter Michael Hing about racism, racist abuse that he's copped on the back of some of the stuff we've been hearing about Stan Grant. Michael, there's going to be people listening now thinking, well, doesn't this just come with the territory? Uh, can't you just block it out? Can't you just ignore it? How do you respond to that? I want you to think through what ignoring it looks like. What does ignoring it look like? Do you want to turn off my phone? Because my friends see this. My family sees this. My parents come to me and ask me, are you okay? We saw, you know, we, we see people, I mean, we see people saying things about you. I, you, you, you my, my colleagues sometimes, you know, do not nicely ask about it as well. They go, hey, I saw that awful thing that person said about you, you know, the racist thing or whatever. You know, there was one, there was one um, entertainment journalist who works at, I think he works at Channel 7 or something, and he, he, he wrote on Twitter, um, I don't know who Michael Hing is, but he should grow a backbone. And I'm like, I'm showing up to work every day, you know? I'm not, 
I'm not running. I'm not quitting. I thought about it, but I didn't because I didn't want the racist to win. And you want me to grow a backbone. What does growing a backbone look like to you? To never speaking about it? Well, I haven't spoken about it for four years, you know? So you blo- so when people text us racist stuff on um, the Hobbit Hing page, we block them on Instagram. But then they know they've been blocked. So then they text in. So you block them from there. And then they find you on Facebook or they find you on Twitter. And like, if people want to contact you or they write in, they write in letters to the ABC. If people want to contact you, how am I supposed to block it out? How, how am I supposed to block it out, Dave? Look, there's been a fair bit of criticism of the ABC management, how it's handled or not handled things, right? You would have seen that over the past few days. Other members of staff, diverse members of staff, present and former speaking out. Do you understand the frustration that's levelled at management? Have you experienced that as well? Yeah, I think I share Stan's view that you want to be careful not to direct it at anyone in particular, you know, because it's the problem is bigger than any one person. The problem is an institutional problem. So let me try and break it down for you as, as clearly as I can. And I know that hackers are always running out of time, so I'll try and do it quickly, Dave. But for a long time, people like me weren't on TV at the ABC and they weren't on TV in Australia. People look like me. People look like Stan weren't necessarily on TV in great numbers and, and weren't necessarily in positions of power at the ABC, Okay. So as an example of the effects that that will have on working conditions here, when I started working here at the drive show, there was no filter on the text line. You could text in whatever racist slurs you want. They would appear on a computer screen and then I would have to see them. And so when I went to management and I said to them, hey, do you think, you know, there's me here, there's Woodhead, there's Ebony, there's like loads of people who work here and people of colour who are receiving racist abuse. Can you do something about this? And they were like, yeah, I don't know why we haven't done that before. And you think like, well, the people who are in those decision-making rooms, those decision-making levels, a lot of them, a lot of the time, it's just white people there. And it doesn't just have to be racist, but this could also be sexist abuse or like, you know, transphobic, LGBT. Like, you know, there's obviously lots of different facets to this. But if, for example, when you go to management, it's all just white people, they may, they may not have thought about this before because they have not spent their lives being told to go back to where you came from or being told, hey, my grandfather fought to keep people like you out of this country. So I guess what I'm saying is when people say diversity matters at a management level, what they're meaning isn't just like, hey, give Chinese people a chance to run things. No, 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 no. It's also that if you have diverse employees and diverse staff, they're going to experience problems that, re- that are difficult to understand and unpack. And so if you have people that have lived experience with that, they will be more understanding it. And then your work, your workplace is going to be a better place. Well, look, Michael Hing, these discussions are happening now. I want to thank you for opening up. This is such a personal thing to do. It's upsetting that anyone in the Triple J family would be dealing with this kind of thing. I've worked with you for many years. I know that this stuff does happen and I know how brave you are to speak up about it and it's drawing attention to it. It's going to help a lot of other people. I appreciate you being so open with us. Michael Hing, thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for finally letting me on Hack, Dave. Yeah, Michael Hing, always, you've got to end it with a joke, right? No, but look, on the text line, we do have a lot of support coming in for you, Michael. Someone says, Hingers, this is making me cry. This is horrendous what you're going through. Another person, you're a national icon, Hingers. Heartbreaking to hear you go through this bullshit. And other people saying, 
Look, I've experienced similar stuff. I've been through this as well. I can completely relate to this. And this is the thing. These conversations hit with people across the board, uh, whether it's racist abuse or homophobic abuse, all kinds of stuff. I want to mention that the ABC has apologised to Stan Grant. The Managing Director, David Anderson, says there's going to be a review to investigate ABC responses to racism affecting staff. There's also a statement from the news director, Justin Stevens, on the ABC website. You can go find it. And you can watch Stan Grant's full message from Q&A on our socials as well. All right, time to move on. Pack. That first year, it was like a slap in the face. I was like, who am I? Like, I don't recognise myself. On Triple J. Polycystic ovary syndrome. A lot of Australian women live with it. And I'm seeing on the text line, so many of you are messaging in now. Someone says... You know, listening to this, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome after years of masked symptoms. Another person says, yeah, I've got it. I was diagnosed when I was 16 and it wasn't until my late 20s I learnt about the full effects. There are heaps of symptoms, irregular periods, weight gain, but not a lot of education about it as we're hearing on the text line now. And a lot of misinformation is out there too. Our reporter, April McLennan, has been working with the ABC's Gemma Breen, who's been looking into this condition for a while. Have you ever heard of polycystic ovary syndrome? It's called PCOS or PCOS. Even though about one in ten women suffer from PCOS, I'd actually never heard of it. So, what is PCOS? I'm extremely confused. You're confused? I'm confused, bro. High levels of insulin, that's the hormone that regulates blood sugar levels, can lead to weight gain, while excessive androgens, including elevated testosterone levels, can change the way body fat is distributed, especially around the stomach. Other symptoms can include excessive hair growth or loss and heavy irregular periods. But unfortunately, doctors and other health professionals are usually only given like an hour of medical education on the condition. So they sometimes don't know about the symptoms and may instead dismiss women as just being overweight. Put on weight quickly and I was like, this is weird, but I just put it down to that, that I wasn't like being as physical. But I was like, no, this is weird. And then my period stopped. Everything was like super irregular. Like when I did get it, I was like way crampier or something. That's Lillian Watkins. She's in her 20s and is actually an ABC reporter in Mackay. She was diagnosed with PCOS about four years ago. I was diagnosed with it, but honestly, like since then, I've just kind of had to sort of self-manage it a lot um, because like it was just so expensive to try and like get it sorted. And all she said to me was like, oh, like lose weight. And I was like, okay, cool. Lillian says she's still struggling with her condition and wishes healthcare professionals were given more education about PCOS and how to treat it. They say like high intensity interval training is great for it, but then that also like like ups your cortisol, like that kind of stress your adrenal gland, which flares up the symptoms. It's so confusing and hard to kind of find just like a clear answer or a clear treatment. When Alison Brunton was 18 years old, she missed her period and she thought she might have been pregnant. So she booked an appointment with her GP. Turns out she actually had PCOS. So it was mainly um, just the, yeah, the irregular periods. And then obviously being in a larger body, I think that was sort of the assumption that was made was that it just looked like, so to speak, someone who would have PCOS. I did have a bit of, you know, extra hair in certain places. um, So that was another sort of symptom. She says the doctors gave her some info about carbs and told her she needed to lose weight. 
but her PCOS diagnosis, along with a few other factors, actually caused Alison to develop an eating disorder. And while she's now recovered from anorexia, Alison's calling for the system to stop shaming people with PCOS and instead give people a choice about how to manage their own health. Even people who will say that they're specialists in women's health often don't have a lot of knowledge about the condition or about, you know, um, how to how to manage it. I think I, I do think that education around the condition and how to sort of manage um, maybe manage weight but manage other symptoms as well and maybe not even focus on weight at times would be really helpful. After chatting with Alison and Lillian, I went on TikTok and typed in PCOS, and this is what came up. If you have PCOS and want to lose weight, save this video, share it, because we wasted months trying to figure out what would help, and this is the exact way that she lost her first 20 pounds. You will lose PCOS belly fat in four weeks by stacking these habits. You'll never lose weight on PCOS until you learn this. And while there's evidence to suggest that sometimes weight loss is good, some of these PCOS diets, especially if they're not recommended by a healthcare professional, can be super harmful. And according to the latest draft international guideline on PCOS, weight gain is the number one concern for people with PCOS. And weight stigma can actually stop people from getting the treatment they need. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that story. A lot of messages coming through on this one. It's time to get a bit more uh, information from an expert. And Professor Helena Teed is with Monash University. She's with us now. Professor Teed, thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks, Dave. It kind of feels like the conversations we're having about polycystic ovary syndrome now is similar to the ones that we were having about endometriosis a few years ago. How common is it? Look, it's about one in eight to one in 10 women. And it is in many ways similar to endometriosis in that it's often not diagnosed, it's often dismissed. Um, the features can be confused with other conditions. And one of the reasons I, I didn't start my research journey as a, as a clinician and a researcher on this condition when I first started doing research, but I was driven to it because of the really... Um, I think dire situation that many women with a condition find themselves in. And as a doctor, I was it was really quite heartbreaking working with young women who had this condition. They knew there was something that was uh, just not quite right. They'd been trying to seek help for some time, but because it was quite poorly defined and reasonably complex and we were still learning a lot more about it, they were just not getting the diagnosis, the information and the help they really needed. Look, we do have a lot of, you know, people talking about uh, the diagnosis process and, you know, there's criticism of health professionals, but we do have someone on the text line. I'm a GP in my 20s. I diagnose PCOS probably once a fortnight. So some of us know, know what we're doing. Um, with the, the focus on weight, do you think there is too much attention on weight? Look, I think it just needs to be proportionate. The The reality is that weight is the number one concern for women with this condition. So clearly we need to take it into account. But one of the challenges about uh, weight, which is actually an issue for everybody who, who struggles with their weight, and let's just keep it in perspective, that's about two thirds of Australia. This is no longer a, a situation where every individual in that two-thirds of Australians is actually responsible for their own weight as an individual personal behaviour. The reality is we live in times and in an environment where the type of food we have and the type of lifestyle we live makes it almost impossible or the exception to the rule to not be struggling with your weight. And when you add PCOS on top of that, which is a hormonal condition, it's not just about ovaries, we're 
in the process of working with women around the world to change the name of this condition to improve understanding. But it is a, a, an endocrine or hormonal condition with a, a fairly wide array of features that actually are really have a significant impact on the quality of life of women who are affected. And it needs more awareness, education and attention, especially by our GPs. So fantastic that you've got that, uh, that text coming in, but also by um, the medical profession more broadly so that women actually can be taken seriously, their diagnosis and symptoms can be recognised and the support that they need is available. And yes, lifestyle is important, but it's not all about necessarily weight loss and we need a lot more broader uh, society recognition about the causes that drive weight loss. Sorry, weight, beg your pardon, and the sorts of policy and environmental strategies that we all need to help us. Interesting about the name change, maybe something different will, you know, help this situation a bit. It sounds like a a small thing, but it's probably not. Just briefly, uh, Professor Ted, we're running out of time, but you've been writing guidelines around this. They're going to be released in a couple of months. Can you explain what the guidelines are for? Yeah, definitely. So this is an international initiative led by Australia, funded by the National Health and Medical Research Council. Uh, the guideline we did in 2018 reaches 196 countries and we've just updated it. And a lot of it focuses on the increased need for more awareness and diagnosis, the increased need for support and better uh, care for women with this condition, their recognition of lifestyle being healthy and not just being weight-centric, and a much more st- strong focus on assisting women and it's aligned with a free um, government-funded evidence-based resource called the Ask PCOS app. And I'd encourage um, anyone who thinks they may have it, who has irregular periods, excess body hair, struggles with their weight and uh, also trouble with infertility, Mm. um, that they actually have a look at this and get more information and then work with their health professional around it. But the guidelines have been developed with women and with health professionals, and they are led out of Australia but relevant around the world. Interesting. Professor Helena Teed with Monash University. I'm sorry we're out of time. That's been fascinating, but thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks very much, Dave. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.